Part four, section three of the sinking of the Merrimack by Richmond Pearson Hobson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part four, prison life in Santiago and observations of the siege. Section three, containing first sight of the stars and stripes, two ruses, the battles of July first, El Caney and San Juan, notes of the fighting of July second, July third. Hearing the guns of the fleets. The operations of the army and navy were, of course, of the keenest interest. I noted the fire of every gun from the fleet, and as far as practicable tried to judge of its caliber, location, and objective. With a small clock which had come in my box from the New York, I noted the very minute of the opening gun. The various firings up to the twenty-third were evidently only bombardments of the entrance none of them exceed in an hour, and all less animated than the three-hour bombardment of the sixth observed from the morrow. But on the twenty-second, the firing to the southeast, opening at nine a.m., convinced me, after a short while, that troops were being landed under cover of the fleet. Moreover, I observed couriers to and from the eastward during the day, and on the twenty-fourth I was not surprised to hear musketry firing, more or less obstinate, far away to the southeastward. There could no longer be any doubt. We were invading with an army, and our advance guard had made contact with the enemy. I decided that the firing, however, came from our cavalry, not thinking that the infantry could have advanced so quickly, and I formed a picture of our superb horsemen, such as I had seen drilling at Fort Myer near Washington, and our cowboy riders engaging the Spanish troops. The firing did not seem to recede as it closed, and I was sure, though the atmosphere was not very clear, that the Spanish flag on a building where the firing had taken place had been replaced by the stars and stripes. My heart leaped with exultation, though I knew that pain and death must be there. It was the initial action at Sevilla. I would have given a great deal for a sight of the special edition of the local papers which a newsboy brought in that afternoon. It made the soldiers about the entrance look serious. But I knew the story next day when a regiment of infantry came slowly down the road from Sevilla, and I saw a brigadier shake his head as he met an officer from the city. On that day there was artillery firing to the southeast, closer than on the day of the landing. I could not make it out, but learned afterward that it was the shelling of Aguadores, accompanied by the retreat of the Spaniards and the partial blowing up of the railroad bridge. If there had been any doubt about Sevilla the day before, it was removed that night when I saw our campfires spreading out, some of them nearer than the first flag. For several days no further action took place, but our campfires continued to spread out to the foot of the mountains, and I knew the army was coming up. The Spanish troops on their part were working like beavers on their entrenchments, and artillery passed, which I concluded was being transferred from the entrance and from defenses in other directions. What gave me most concern was a pack train of big mules with machine guns. My intense anxiety to escape with the information I had made me almost desperate. The Spaniards seemed to know this, and watched me like a hawk. Before I would start to cross the courtyard, the officer of the day would call up two or three extra sentries. It was on the day of the landing that Mr. Ramsden had brought me news of the refusal to exchange, and then I knew that unless a chance to escape should occur, 
we should have simply to await developments in the attack on the city. I look for this attack to be from artillery and planned in the case of bombardment to place my tables in front of the window, very much as at Morrow, and to demand that my men be allowed to go into the courtyard to be clear of fallen walls or roofs. When I went in to see Montague, I took the opportunity of informing the men of the situation, while still appearing only to be inquiring about their health, in this fashion. You still have some fever, Montague, and they have refused to exchange us, lads. The two clauses being spoken without pause, the officer suspected nothing. None of you others have any, but our troops have landed. Does your coffee keep well in that box, and if shells strike the building, look out for the walls and the for fire from above? Do you get enough air from the door there, and shall I ask for you to be allowed to go into the courtyard? Let me see your tongue, Montague. It is not so bad, and in the courtyard look out for brick and debris, take shelter by the stone steps. The men understood perfectly, and nodded their heads, or answered without any sign of surprise, and without a question. I was rather surprised later to see the Red Cross flag hoisted on the barracks, one flag at each corner and one over the portal. Do they imagine, I thought, with troops going back and forth from the entrance and the nature of the building evident that the flag is going to protect it from our fire? I was interested to see what the abuse of the flag would amount to, and after our exchange I found that the guns of our artillery had been trained on the barracks from the beginning of the investment, while the flag was hoisted on almost every building of importance in the city. The barracks was close to the line of artillery pits, was indeed the nearest structure, and would have been the first building to crumple. Our artillerists had seen the abuse, and had made out the hospital and other places to be spared independent of the flag. There was a sense of relief in the knowledge that the men were safe in the hospital before the fighting began. Preparations continued apparently on both sides until June 30, when a balloon ascended from our lines and remained high up for reconnaissance. I took this as indicating that active work was close at hand. Escape with information had continued impossible, and I waited with anxious mind, never doubting for an instant as to the issue, but fearing for our losses. Sharp at half-past six next morning our artillery opened. I jumped to the window, and scarcely left it again all day, and being anxious to follow accurately every movement, took a pencil to jot down items. Mr. Ramsden had sent a notebook and stationery, but the authorities had declined to let them be delivered, fearing that they might be used to communicate with the Cubans. Whenever I wished to write a letter to the general or to the council, an orderly would bring in one envelope and one sheet of paper, and that envelope and that sheet of paper had to go out to be accounted for. Paper was therefore lacking, as in the daily items I had used up the spare part of the sheet left in the morrow by the judge. Fortunately, I had put the draft of my reply to his questions into my pocket, and the back of the page was blank. On this blank side I jotted items of the battle, keeping the paper folded twice in front of my body, and using a very short lead pencil to escape the notice of the sentry, who kept his eye on every movement and doubtless wondered why I would turn so often to look at the clock. The items are scarcely more than words, and though making pictures to my own mind, they are, can hardly be intelligible to others, but as far as they are intelligible they may be taken as accurate. 
July 1st, 6.30. Heavy artillery opened on Fuerte eastward and northward. Contains three pieces. Infantry fire soon afterwards in same direction. Brisk for hour or two. Balloon reconnaissances. About nine, General Toral and officers, apparently all infantry officers, met at Cuartel Reina Mercedes. Draw over to houses to southeast, in rear. Musketry at distance to southward and eastward opened about 9.45. Became general, approaching. Enemy's artillery on flank opened. Enemy retreating. Advance upon his artillery. Either captured or retired about noon. Pause about eleven o'clock. About one, enemy rallied. Two small cavalry charges. First returned at once. Second, never returned. About two, fire with machine guns to eastward began. Continued rest of day. Seemed to engage men in bunch of palms. Fire to northward and eastward again began two p.m. Off and on rest of day. Supported by heavy artillery fire flank movement about two heavy continued rest a day till about six thirty machine guns firing pause about four forty started again about five fifteen heavy close at outer fork of road machine gun fire and artillery ended at dark the artillery fire that began the engagement came from a hillock out toward the base of the mountains i jumped to observe the fall of the first shell which, to my surprise, exploded far to the northeast, near a blockhouse dominating the village of El Caney. It was followed by another shot, then another, each one nearer, till one struck the blockhouse square. It was excellent target practice. I estimated the pieces to be about three miles from the barracks, and the range about a mile and a half. It was a fine sight to see the billows of smoke dart out of the hillock, and then, after an expected pause of five or six seconds, see the puff-balls of gas at the blockhouse. Then came another pause of ten or twelve seconds. Then the peal, followed shortly by a sharp, strong echo from the mountains behind. Then another echo from the mountain behind El Caney. And then a series of echoes from mountains at greater distances. It was not long after the artillery opened that I heard the distant crack of a rifle. Then another then several in rapid succession, all in the direction of the village. I then knew that the artillery fire was preparatory to an advance of infantry. Some shells seemed to be directed farther down the slope, apparently ahead of the infantry, though the blockhouse still received attention. The musketry fire became general and drew toward the village. It continued unremittingly till it all came from the village, when it slackened. It had been a hotly contested advance, but I felt that the village was ours and the north flank was secure, though firing continued off and on during most of the day and was very hot again in the afternoon. I felt all the while, however, that the movement on the village would be only a part of the advance, expecting the heaviest fighting to take place out to the east and southeast in the direction of the road that led toward the building on which our flag had supplanted the Spanish flag, where the campfire showed our troops to be in force. I was not surprised, therefore, when the balloon rose up in that direction, even before the firing died out at El Caney. Then, when there was a conference of officers, a general, whom I took to be Toral, and twenty or thirty others, at the barracks in front of my window, 
and troops began to pour out from the city along the southeast road, I was certain that a general engagement was impending. The officers seemed to have misgivings as to the balloon, and drew over to some buildings about a hundred yards away where they were screened from its view. The balloon came lower and began to change position. Musketry fire started up in its direction, and soon became general, and the artillery began to open. Before long I was convinced that the firing was coming closer. Soon there was no doubt of it. Our troops continued to advance until finally the fire became quicker and more concentrated, and I knew they were charging. Then came a cloud of smoke and the crash and explosion of shrapnel, followed by a sudden pause. I knew what the pause meant. Our men, who probably had never been under fire before, had felt the shock and for the moment forgot their firing. But almost instantly it started up again, faster than ever. Again the artillery crashed. Again there was a pause, and then once more the fire started up with greater fury than before. Then the enemy began a series of volleys with their magazine rifles, while their artillery crashed again, now from the flank as well as from the front, and a fearful machine-gun fire set in from a house on the flank. Our artillery seemed not to be in force. My heart sank as I followed the unequal conflict with an enemy entrenched and supported by artillery. The victory seemed beyond human power. But still they came. Volley followed volley. The machine-guns swept the air with their keen swish. The artillery belched. A longer pause ensued. I felt the moment to be supreme. Had we fallen back? The question was soon answered by a fire hotter than ever. It was the final charge. The fire slackened. The artillery ceased. The impossible had been done. As sure as fate, our unsupported infantry had taken the works against entrenched infantry with magazine rifles supported by machine guns and artillery. Though the firing had been hottest in the direction of the road, it had extended more or less along the front to the eastward, and I knew when night set in and stillness came that we had advanced all along the line. And though no campfires told of our positions, I felt that we held the ridge encircling the city and were working with all the energy left from an all-day fight to strengthen our positions while we would be ready to advance from the north flank. The matter of artillery had puzzled and disappointed me, as I had expected it to do the bulk of the fighting, believing that in the preceding days it was continually coming up. That night I thought surely it would be up before daybreak, and from the commanding ridge would shell the inner works in the morning. The inner works had been developed by our fire during the day only on the southeast. On the east and northeast they were still unrevealed, and I looked forward to the opening of an artillery duel at daybreak between our artillery on the ridge and the artillery pits circling the barracks. To my disappointment, the fighting started up with musketry. Sure enough, we had entrenched ourselves along the ridge, but apparently no new artillery had come up. Following are my notes of the second day's fighting. July 2nd, Saturday. Open fire 5 a.m. Inner works. Brisk until 6. Pause and then again. Seem to fall back. General musketry and artillery both sides. Continues. Turns to flank towards 7. Continues hot in flank. Spanish artillery opening on hillside on flank. 7.45, pause. 
10, again in flank. Pause, 8.15. 8.30, again in flank, in volleys of machine guns. Artillery on hillside. Troops assembling near Fuerte. Disperse. Desultory on flank. General pause. Major and boy orderly. Vessels heavy guns at 6 a.m. till about 8 a.m. Lost calf. Captain and lieutenant stragglers. Volleys about 9.20 in flank road. Machine guns. Few shots artillery previous. Desultory. Seem to desist from heat. 9.45 up again. Desultory till 10.25. Few shots Spanish artillery. 11.30 terrific onslaught in flank road. Lasted five or six minutes. Then pause. Mockingbird. Desultory. Scattering. Refugees. 12.15 another lasted about two or three minutes. 12.30 general firing in road out to eastward. Not last long. 12.50 another hot general. Lasted twenty minutes. Then out to eastward in palms. Pause general after 1.35. Heat. Buzzards. Desultory firing at intervals. 2.40, more or less general, farther out to southeastward and to eastward. Desultory in flank ditch till 2.45. Then Spanish artillery opened on southeast and caused pause, 2.50. Nature's artillery. Desultory firing, flank road. 3.15, heavy thunder shower. Driving wind from northward and Spanish artillery. 3.30, firing to eastward. 3.40, in heavy rain, firing in flank road and to eastward and more or less general. Then increased, raining moderately. 3.45, terrific in flank road. Spanish artillery opens. Bullets buzz. Lasted about eight minutes. Then silence. 3.50, firing to northward continues. Close, volleys. Spanish artillery. 3.58, Two pieces in northward pit and two pieces in eastward pit. Pause, 403. Rainbow to eastward, clearing. 411, opens to northward again. Movement, partridge. Light on mountains, 420. 420, opens to northward, 425, ditto. 435, general to southeast and flank, artillery. 445, rifle reply in pit to northward. General silence. Artillery desultory firing at a distance. 455. Rifle reply in pit to northward. 5 ditto. And light firing in flank road. 505. Transfer of 100 infantrymen to northward. Dead pig and smiling soldier. 520. Horse and bullet. 6. Rifle firing in pit to northward. Echo to southward and eastward. 620. Ditto. Spanish artillery. Silence. Sharpshooters. 9.45. Magnificent assault. Flank road, as used in the notes, refers to the road leading out to San Juan, the portion that runs very nearly eastward, making the southeast flank before turning. Flank, used by itself, refers to the southeast flank, or San Juan side. The Fuerte is the blockhouse where the road forks. This second day's fighting puzzled me very much. It extended virtually all the way around from the north flank to the southeast flank, 
and seemed to go by impulses, some of them violent, but all of them short. The use of smokeless powder made it extremely difficult to make out movements unless they were very pronounced, as in the first day's fighting. The advance down upon the north flank was clear enough, as many of our troops used smoke powder. It was not, in fact, until this advance set in that the artillery pits close in front and to the north first showed themselves and demonstrated their excellent combination with the rifle trenches, which gave out well-executed volleys. This movement stopped with the complete occupation of the ridge, but the firing along the eastward and southeast seemed incomprehensible. At first I thought we were advancing to the assault of the inner trenches, but I felt we would not be so scattering or so intermittent. Afterward I learned that the movements were efforts on the part of the Spanish to dislodge us from our positions. I cannot help believe, however, that in some of the repulses our troops pursued till it somewhat resembled an assault on the inner trenches, for the firing came close at hand in the flank road, only a few hundred yards away. Unfortunately, a row of houses cut off my view of this road. It was singularly interesting, just after the terrific firing in the sally of half-past eleven, to hear a mockingbird filling the interval of battle with its joyous trills. Along in the afternoon I heard quail calling, as usual, in the meadow between the positions of the two armies, and two doves flew by, apparently much frightened. In the very midst of the firing, a little calf, not a week old, came wandering along the road all alone, stopping here and there, looking about with that stupid, awkward look that only a newborn calf has. It was pathetic to see it, unable to make out the situation, as it finally wandered off to the northeast, heading straight for the Spanish trenches. Later I saw a soldier come along with a piece of pig meat, and then another, beaming with smiles, with a whole pig under his arm. Though the day's fighting was not entirely comprehensible, it left me in a condition of expectancy. This was particularly the impression from the action on the north flank, where our troops came with the thunderstorm. The moment the driving rain cleared, the artillery in the two upper pits opened on the ridge to the north and northeast. But it was too late. A force of our daring fellows had arrived and had come down to the slope of the ridge with the storm, and the moment it cleared they opened on the pits and trenches at short range. Apparently the artillery prevented the reinforcing of this detachment, but the brave fellows remained. It seemed to me that they were lying down on their faces in the gully of the ravine, and as far as I could see the artillery of the pits under fire could not be depressed enough to reach them and seemed to depend more on the volley fire and by the riflemen in the pits and flanking trenches. The third pit, the one just in front of my window, fired over the others trying to drop on them, but the fuses of the shell in this pit seemed defective, as scarcely more than one out of two exploded. It was most interesting to watch their fire and all the details of which could be seen. I was looking intensely when a bullet cracked in the masonry just under my head, and a horse hitched at the entrance reared and plunged. One of our men, probably a sharpshooter, had seen the Spanish officer who had galloped up a few moments before, and not getting a chance at the officer before he dismounted and went in, probably thought he would take a shot at the horse. During the firing of both days, bullets would come rather thick at times, particularly in the firing down toward the flank road. Some would buzz as they passed over, others would strike the side of the building and tear out little lumps of masonry 
I thought two entered the window above mine. It was not long before I adopted the plan of using my pillow to soften the floor, and stooping down so as to have only my head above the windowsill, thus reduced the amount of exposure without losing any of the view. When darkness finally set in and our men had not been dislodged, I concluded it was the prelude to a general assault, that our forces on the east and southeast had only been creating a diversion while the advance was coming from the north, and that then all was ready. I could not help thinking, however, of the trying condition the men must be in after two days fighting and in the drenching rain, for the Spanish soldiers who came in were utterly exhausted and forlorn, pitiable to look upon, though most of their work had been only defensive from stationary positions. But it is in such conditions that superiority tells. Soon a bright light of large proportion shone from the mountainside behind El Caney. Then another, and I took them to be general signals, and went to bed with the full expectation of witnessing an assault before daybreak. I made all my preparations to leave, and thought over the best method of action when our troops should reach the barracks, for the care of infantry or cavalry, as the case might be. I had been asleep only a short while when musketry fire set in on the south flank, and the artillery in that quarter opened. No pause, however, followed the infantry blasts, as in the day fighting, and the musketry fire became terrific. I had learned to distinguish between the crack of our rifles and that of the Spanish rifles, and now the two were all together, as if from the same spot. Fire opened on the north flank, too, and I thought the assault was general. Soon the south flank firing began to draw nearer, and it appeared to reach the flank road itself when machine guns began to swish their showers, and a supreme effort seemed to come like a great wave of firing. The machine guns stopped, and I thought we had entered and were crossing the flank road and had taken the machine guns. I thought the clashing sounds indicated hand-to-hand -hand conflict. The Spanish troops began to fall back. Many stragglers came running toward the barracks, individuals and squads retreating in confusion, and soon a whole company came back and sought refuge in the barracks. The firing continued to advance from the flank and followed up the line of the inner trenches. The pit in front of my window belched up, it seemed, straight into the air. The moon had risen, and it was a glorious sight. Soon the firing ceased, except on the north flank, where, to my surprise, the men who had come down the slopes had not been reinforced, and the firing was only a continuation of the firing that had stopped at dark. In addition, volley firing out to the eastward continued for some time longer, as though one set of trenches had not been broken. Still, I did not doubt that the most of the inner trenches were ours, and, uh, though somewhat surprised by our stopping, I thought it was done to spare lives that might be lost in the tumult of a night occupation. I went back to bed with the full expectation of seeing our troops take possession in the morning. Twice during the night I got up to see two pieces of artillery being transferred to the north flank, and thought it rather strange that our troops in the captured pits and trenches took no action in the matter. I was utterly surprised and disappointed to be awakened on the morning of the third by musketry fire that soon showed we did not hold the inner works. Even the men who had come over the hill on the north flank slowly withdrew. Why in the world, I thought, have we abandoned the results of such magnificent work last night? This was one of the first questions I asked after exchange, and I could scarcely believe that it was the enemy who made the attack in a sally and were repulsed.
I'm sure some of our troops must have pursued in the retreat. The Spanish themselves thought so, for just after the retreat of the company that took refuge in the barracks, an officer galloped back from the melee and came into my cell, a major, the real governor of the barracks, not, not the major whom I had taken for the governor, who indicated the firing, said it looked as though our army had taken the place. He asked me with great concern if I thought our troops would kill the men found in the barracks. He proceeded to assure me that it contained wounded and other prisoners, and that he had put up the Red Cross flag, and had given specific orders to the officer of the day to observe the regulations governing it. He sent that officer to get the order, and he read it to me. I assured him that he need have no fear, provided no resistance was shown, that I had only to suggest that he see that none of the troops inside should appear with arms. He lingered in my room, and I invited him to join me in the interesting observation from behind the window sill, as I did not wish to miss anything, and it was at that moment that the pit just in front belched up into the air, which I took to indicate its capture. The major withdrew with understanding that the first American officer or petty officer to arrive would be sent direct to me. He did not come back, and before I went to sleep, the refugees in the barracks went out again. It was with disappointment and depression that I watched the movements of the next day, July 3rd. My notes read as follows. 5.20. Fire in middle and southern pit and to eastward. Southard pit hot volleys. Silence 5.30. 5.40. Again, southward pit. Silence. 5.45. 5.50. Middle pit, then southward pit. Machine guns. Silence. 5.58. Soldiers cutting corn in private garden. Six, again in eastward and southeastward pits. Silence. 6.07. 6.10. Same. Silence. 6.12. 6.18. Same. Silence. 6.20. Enemy's central rifle pits were not assaulted. 6.37, scattering, general, about five minutes. 7, quickened, especially toward flank. Two shots of field pieces against hillside, about ten minutes firing out to southeast. 7.35, to northward and northeast, hot. Artillery and volleys from northeast pit cease, 7.53. Again, 7.55 till 7.59, and to southeast. Field pieces went down southeast road. Again, firing eight for ten minutes. Eight twelve, slight. Eight fifteen, heavy for three minutes to northward. Eight twenty two, general to southeast, three minutes. Wounded men passing. Shell, southeast pit, fail often to explode. Eight thirty five, general to southeast for fifteen minutes. Silence. 8.55 to 9, then desultory at 9.03, 9.05, 9.10, and 9.12. Shots from field pieces on flank to southeast. Soldier with piece of hog flesh. The bullet from northward came great force. Footnote. Soldiers had come out and were picking up bullets along the road and sidewalk that had hit the wall and dropped or bounded back. I thought of the bullet that singed the horse, and looking close in front of the window saw it. The officer of the day kindly sent out and brought it. Coming obliquely, the nose had rebounded, but the rear had struck with great force. 
tearing open nickel casing and spreading the lead inside. I put it with the fragment of shell that came to my door in Morro. End of footnote. Partridges to eastward. Good schooling. Good schooling for next sporting season. Ten vessels firing. 10.25 seemed to cease. 10.25 to 10.30 light firing to northward and to southeast. 10.30 firing out to eastward died down, desultory, and ceased toward 11. Afternoon. Stillness. Cart with provisions as before. To eastward seems to be burying the dead. Appearance of cross. Cart goes out with rags, bandages, etc., some with blood on. Overcast. Continuous. Forces out on horizon east and southeast of palms. Growing. Look ominous. Distant pops about 350 to the northeast. To southward of palms look like cavalry. To the northward like infantry. Ours look dark Spanish light. Cart full of rifles goes out. Stretcher men like firemen. 5, 530, etc. Thunderstorm rolling from northeast. Expectancy. Maneuvers of cavalry apparently preparation for advance with rain. Rain begins 545. Nothing. Disappointment. Mother comes to inquire about her son. Full moon. Some firing away to northeast as though troops moving. Company of Spanish traverse to southward. Thus passed Sunday, and on the whole the day seemed barren of incident. I did not know that it marked an event of the first magnitude that virtually decided the issue of the war. When the firing from the vessels began, which was a short time before ten o'clock, my entry above being made at the time when I came to the conclusion that the firing was from the vessels, I paid, as usual, the closest attention, and soon knew that it was changing location. After a while I concluded with all the sense of ill luck at being absent that the fleets were engaging. But when in about twenty-five minutes the firing ceased, I decided it could not be the fleets, since on so calm a day when the water would not wash above the low armor belt, it would be impossible, I estimated, to sink the Spanish vessels inside of two hours, unless they should come at once to close quarters. In fact, I considered two hours and a half a small time for the destruction of the Cologne, and finally entirely put aside the idea that the fleets had engaged. No one suspected that we should be able to set upon the Spanish vessels in the element of fire, an enemy quicker and more terrible than the water of the sea. End of Part 4, Section 3